a new sermon series today um, out of uh, using Luke chapter 11 as our main text. We're ultimately going to be talking about praying, asking Jesus to teach us to pray like he prayed. And you're going to see it in context today where Jesus, think about it, it's, it's interesting, the Son of God prayed. I mean, if Jesus prayed, how much more do we need to pray? Uh, and so what I started noticing, even in, in my own life, I want to pray better. I, I, I want to have a, a, a more vibrant prayer life. I'm asking the Lord through this sermon series to teach me to pray better. And I'm sure there's some maybe in this room or, or watching online that would say, you know, I, I, would, I would love to, to pray better, to learn how to pray. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I played baseball, love baseball. Uh, I mean, I, I love baseball, always have. Um, I love playing it, still try to get out there and relive my glory days in a little church league softball, but that's another conversation. I love baseball. And it's interesting that I learned what we're gonna be talking about actually in baseball. How many of you guys play baseball and before every game you recited the Lord's Prayer? How many? It was always convicting and I wasn't even a Christian then. We'd put our hands in, we'd say the Lord's Prayer and then I would go play baseball and the Lord would not always be on my mind as I was playing the game. But I learned... Our Father, Art Neville, hallowed be that. We'd go through it and we would say it, but here's the thing about it, is we would say the words, but I don't know that we truly understood what we were saying or, or that we, we really got what was happening. And so in this context of what's happening, which is why we're gonna to use Luke chapter 11 today, but if you wanna maybe mark Matthew chapter six, we're gonna go back and look at it. It's the same text. The Lord's model prayer is modeling how to pray. One gives us a greater context of what's happening. The other one is a little more detailed in its content of the actual prayer. So I'm gonna reference both of them, uh, but we're looking at it because it's the disciples asking Jesus to teach them really to pray like he was praying. Our, our staff read a book on prayer recently and there's an illustration that the author used uh, and we'll make these uh, books available so that maybe if you wanna read more, you can. Um, and so in this book, he was talking about how we should pray like breathing. And he says, often though, I find myself praying more like uh, an ana taking an antibiotic versus praying like I breathe. Think about it. We, we take an antibiotic and, and why do you need an antibiotic? You need an antibiotic because there's sickness in your life. You're sick, there's a problem. And so you take antibiotic and, until you get better. And then what are the instructions on the pill box or the box of the pills when you're done with this antibiotic, what do you do? Yeah, see, you don't know, because right now in your house, you have a cabinet that looks like a pharmacy. You've kept every pill you've ever taken. You're supposed to take it all the way through, and you might have some left, and it says, if there's any left on it, throw it away. Throw the medicine away, but y'all don't throw it away. You keep it, I know. I've been to your house, and you a little time on, you open it up, it's like, anything you could ever imagine. But you're supposed to throw it away. And this is kind of like how we, we pray. God, there's a problem in my life. There's an issue in my life. I've got something going on in my life. And so Lord, I need you. And I find myself having my most fervent prayer life when, when there's a sickness or an issue or a problem. So I find myself more fervent praying then, but then as soon as the problem is resolved, I've noticed in my own life that my prayer life will begin to wane a little bit, like things are good. And so I, I maybe don't, I don't need to be as fervent in this. I don't need to, to pray quite as hard. And, and I was convicted because he says, rather our prayer life should be like breathing. I mean, like right now, you haven't told yourself to breathe the whole worship service. But now that I'm talking about it, right now you're kind of like telling yourself to breathe. And so you're breathing, but breathing is so fundamental to us having life 
that your body will begin to do it involuntarily, meaning you don't have to tell yourself to breathe. For like the next two minutes, you're gonna tell yourself to breathe. But you'll forget about it, and your body will take over. And you will just, you'll breathe. And he's saying in the same way, prayer is like this in the Christian life. But if I'm honest, prayer in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of not understood. It's like, I don't, why does prayer activate the power of God? And it, it can almost sometimes seem like, like magical or, or just kind of weird. And so often in our lives, in our, our prayerfulness, because we don't always understand it, it's kind of awkward. And sometimes we just don't engage in it. You see, prayer is, it's faith in action. When we begin to pray, you know that you're talking to God, but James talks about our, our, that faith is, is believing sometimes in, in what we don't see. Like God, when you begin to pray, it literally like doesn't just appear and you start talking to him. It's God, I, I believe in who you are. I believe you are God and I believe you hear my prayers. I believe that you want to have a conversation with me, so I'm gonna act on it. And I'm gonna have a conversation with you and I'm gonna make petitions and, and I'm gonna step in on other people's behalf and we're gonna pray for our city because well, we believe it does something. And if you didn't believe that prayer does anything, well, then you wouldn't pray. And, and so prayer is, is faith in action. It's, it's acting on our faith in who God is. There's a missionary named James Frazier. He was a missionary to the Lysu people in Southwest China back when traveling to China wasn't as easy, even though it's still difficult. In that time, it was a really tough place. It was a really difficult place to do ministry. And as he was ministering there, he served for five years without seeing a single convert. Five years. He loved the people, prayed for them, preached the word, and not one person came to know the Lord. I mean, let's be honest, if you were in a task for five years and you labored faithfully and saw nothing, the struggle would be real. This is what he says about prayer. He said, solid, lasting missionary work is done on our knees. The spirit must be continually maintained in strength by unceasing prayer, especially against the power of darkness. All that I've learned of other aspects of the victory life is useless without prayer. Five years into his ministry, people began to come to know the Lord, but it happened because he was first faithful in prayer. For five years, it took prayer. You see, the work of reaching and changing the world is not only in evangelism. It's not only in, in being really good at talking about Jesus or preaching really interesting sermons. Real, lasting change, it is indeed a work done on our knees in prayer. It's why we're starting the prayer ministry and it's why we're focusing on prayer because we can preach, we can sing, we can do all the things, but if we do not pray, man, we miss the boat. And so we wanna talk about it. I mean, let me ask you maybe this question. What would keep you from praying in an honest evaluation of your life right now? What could keep you from praying? Maybe your favorite show coming on, maybe the Duke Carolina game last night, maybe college football season coming up. There's all times that could maybe keep you from praying. But, but what, if, like, what if somebody came in and said, hey, listen, and, and they put a gun to your head and said, if you pray, then you're done. Now we think about that and we're like, man, that's extreme. But this is exactly what happened pretty much in the life of Daniel in the Bible. He had been praying multiple times a day since he was a young man. And so they made a decree that said, hey, if you pray or anyone prays to anybody else other than the king, they're gonna be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel said, okay, you cannot and you will not stop me from praying. It was so important for him to talk to God, like he always has as a young man, that he said, throw me in the lion's den. I would rather die than not pray. 
I don't know how you feel about prayer, but I would imagine there's probably a few of us this morning that didn't wake up today and said, today, God, I would rather die than not have a conversation with you. To be dedicated in my prayer life with you. Now, we know how Daniel would be thrown into the lion's den and God would miraculously take care of him. It'd be like a throw pillow in there. He just laid with lions all night. And the next day the king comes and says, surely your God is real. He is true. He's the one true God. And Daniel's like, yeah, I know. That's why I wanted to talk to him. And you couldn't stop me from that. Maybe, let me ask you this way. If God told you today you had one day left to live, what would you do with it? Like right now, you're in here in worship service and God's like, hey, psh, by the way, you got 24 hours. Just wanted to give you a heads up. What would you do with that one day? Some of you are like, okay, flying to Hawaii, that's too, I don't wanna spend like that much time on an airplane. We're going to Disney World, we're at Six Flags. You know, you're thinking, who would I call? Who would I talk to? What conversations would I have? You know, I wouldn't worry about taxes, anything. I'm spending everything. Like, you got one day. You got one day to live and, and here you go. You know what Jesus did when he knew that he had one day left to live? He sits down, has a meal with the disciples. He teaches them how to remember him. He washes their feet and then he would leave and invite them to pray with him. Of all the things he could have done, of all the people maybe he wanted to see, some of you are like, well, I hope you'd go see like your mama. <laughs> and Jesus is like, I need to go pray and talk to my father. And he gets down and he prays and he invites them to pray with him. Prayer is a pretty serious matter in the Bible. And it's something that I'm asking the Lord to, to teach me and, and that I wanna grow. And so I'm gonna invite you on the next four weeks, kind of walk with me through this process of learning how to pray. So I'm gonna start in, in chapter 11 of Luke. I'm gonna read it and then we'll look at Matthew in a moment. So here's what he says. In Luke chapter 11, verse one, Jesus is he, he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Let me stop right there. So Jesus is praying. The disciples see him praying. He gets finished praying. And they're like, hey, teach us how to pray. Remember, there will be more in our lifetime caught than taught. I can tell you all about praying, but you will learn much more about us actually praying together. And it's just how it is. They were, they're, they're watching Jesus pray and they're like, clearly this is important. If our teacher is spending time in prayer, then we need to spend time in prayer. So they ask him, and, and it matter at the spirit, this is the only places that it has in the Bible where the disciples specifically ask their teacher to teach them something. They ask questions before in the Bible, but this is the only place where it says it's recorded that they asked him, teach me on this thing. The only thing they asked to teach was teach me how to pray. I think a lot of us probably feel that same way. If you were called on to pray or you were to pray with people, you just feel completely inadequate in that. And you're like, well, I need to learn more. I need to grow more. And I think a lot of us probably feel like we're the disciples here. Lord, would you, would you teach us to do this? And so it says this in verse two, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Now flip over really quick to Matthew chapter six. Luke gives us a great context of what's happening. Uh, Matthew gives us a little more detail in the actual prayer. So I wanna look at it, Matthew chapter six. Uh, the words will be on the screen if you don't wanna flip there. He says this in verse nine of chapter six of Matthew. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus gives it maybe a layout. Many people call this the Lord's prayer or the model prayer. I like to call it the disciples model prayer because he's, he's teaching his disciples, Christ followers, how to pray and, and, and outline in a format. But listen to me, what we're gonna learn is that this prayer is much more than just an outline or a format in how to pray. It's also to show us what's really valuable in life. What's most important, I mean, of all the things that Jesus is gonna lay out for them to talk to the Father about, he's gonna give us of what's really important and what's really matters in life. So here's what I want us to do. Before we start in learning about pray, how about we actually pray together? So we bow and pray with me. Lord, our Father in heaven, we come to you thankful that we have the privilege to be able to pray. And we only get to do this because of the work that you did on our behalf. Because you came and died in our place, Lord, you have bought us from sin and you've delivered us from the evil one. You have answered this prayer. And so God, we ask that you would teach us how to pray. Maybe many in this room don't, have never been taught how to pray. They've never had a conversation about prayer or feel like their, their conversations with you maybe feel sometimes distant or like you're not talking back or, or like the prayers aren't being answered. And I pray that you would use the next four weeks to teach us how to pray, but then to equip the saints that we would be a praying church, that we would be a praying people. God, that I would be a, a praying man, that I would be more disciplined and, and I would grow in this area of my life to, to learn to be a better person who, who prays. So God, teach us according to your word, like the disciples asked for you to teach them how to pray. Lord, we come to you right now and ask that you would teach us how to pray. We ask this in your holy name, amen. Now we read this text and you probably go, okay, how, how do we take the Lord's prayer and go four weeks on this? But what you're gonna find is that the text breaks itself up and each section is, is a little bit more maybe than we've done it. So I wanna hit it today and we're gonna just jump right in. If we're gonna learn how to pray like Jesus prayed, we start with the Father. We start with the Father. He begins this prayer by saying, Father, now, we probably are just used to that being a, a, a designation of our Father who art in heaven. It's just kind of, it's got to start somewhere. So let's start with this. But what you're going to find is that he starts with this because everything else after this is always going to flow back to the beginning. It's always going to flow back to the Father. Remember the context of what's happening. First of all, they're eager to know him. They, they want to pray. They, they want to have a conversation. They teach us how to do this. John kind of taught us how to do this, but now you're our teacher. So will you teach me to do this? Uh, we're eager to be able to, to do this. Uh, every now and then I get to go pick up our, our kids from school and uh, Luke gets out. He's a half day. Uh, my daughter's got, she's a full day at school. And so sometimes I'll be getting to run over for a lunch break and pick Luke up. Or sometimes I'll get to run through the joyous car line and pick up my little girl. And, and it's interesting when I pick her up, it's specifically Sadie. I don't know why, maybe it's just a girl thing, but when I pick her up, it is unbelievable the amount of words that she can use from the time I pick her up to the time I get to her house. She does not stop. It is nonstop. Daddy, we did this and I saw this person and this kid, I don't know who the kid is. I feel like I know the kid now and his mom and dad and where they're from because kids, they talk all about you at school, by the way. Just throw that out there. Don't believe half of what your kids come back home and tell you about somebody else. 
She's going, I mean, daddy, it's like this. And we ate this for lunch. Oh, and I got oranges. I mean, it was amazing. I got oranges at lunch. Oh, great, Sadie. Oh, but daddy, let me tell you what so-and-so did on the playground. Oh, dad, let me tell you. And she says the word dad, I bet you a thousand times. We get back home and I'm like, okay, you know, I kind of need to go back to work. Hang on, daddy, before you go, I'm not finished. And she just, it is, and, and I love it. I love it. And here's why. Because she is eager She's eager to tell me about her day. She's eager to have a conversation with me. Now I go pick up Luke, it's a little bit different. He's really eager to see me, but then he's really eager to just kind of chill for a moment. <laughs> he doesn't use near as many words as she does, but here's the thing, it, with Luke, the way their, their guideline is, is you have to stay in your seat and then the teacher tells you, okay, you can go and he's supposed to get his book bag and then, and then walk to me. He's a boy. I mean, it's like, okay, Luke, you can go. He's already ran. He's knocked his chair over. He forgot his book bag. He's tackling my leg. Daddy, let's go. And he doesn't care about anything else, but he's just pumped that his dad came to, to pick him up. He's, he's ready and eager to have that conversation. And this is the context. This is the context of Luke chapter 11. God, I'm eager. I'm eager to talk. I'm eager to pray. Lord, teach me how to do this. You see, prayer is humility in action. It's recognizing that you're the father and, and I'm the child. And God, I, I wanna come to you to, to have this conversation. And that kind of moves into the second designation of father here is that we're blessed to be his children. It's starting off our conversation with father, you are, you are God and I'm not. You are daddy and I'm child. And I'm just blessed to call you father. I'm blessed that you are mine and that I, I am yours. J.I. Packer and talking about this, I love the way he says it. He says, you sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion, if you describe it as knowledge of God as, one, as one's Holy Father. If you wanna judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. See, the only reason I can even pray is because he was made my father by the work of the son. He, he's become my father because I was purchased through the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only reason I get to pray is because Jesus reached down and saved me. So now I, I'm the adopted son of God. I was not born as his child. So when you have your beautiful little child and you're like, oh my gosh, a precious child of God, not yet. We are born into separation. We are born into sin. Now I believe that God's grace covers us as children. But at some point as a, as a person, I have, to, I have to realize that my sin separates me from God and I'm only brought back to him. He becomes my father and I become his child through the work that Jesus did in my life. And so when I begin to pray, I start it with the joyous word of father because I'm understanding the fatherhood of Christianity. I'm his child and he is my father. Once again, this is humility. You're the father and I'm the child. Lord, teach me, show me, equip me, help me. I mean, think about all the things that he's about to follow with. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to forgive others. Now, all these requests all flow out of God. You are my father and I am your child. 
It's the confidence and the joy of knowing whose we are and who he is to us. So let's not forget who we are praying to. We start with the Father, but then we continue and we pray his name to be honored. Now look how it flows. It says, Father or our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name is how a lot of you remembered. But I love this translation. It says, your name be honored as holy. Our Father, your name be honored as holy. Lord, I want to honor your name as, as holy, as set apart. It is different. So let me kind of talk through this as we think about praying to the Father and we think about praying that his name would be holy, that his name would be honored. You see, we, we honor him in his value to us. Now, let me just stop you as we think about how we have honor to God because of his value to us. We immediately begin to think, oh yeah, I honor God because of, of what I get from God. Like, yes, you're exactly right. Like, he is holy. He is awesome because I'm about to ask him for some stuff. Like, God, I'm going to need your help. I need your help with this person in my life. I need your help with this job situation. I need your help with family. I need your help with finance. And so you're thinking, yeah, I do value him as set apart because of what I can get from him. But this is not what the text is talking about. It's actually talking about we honor him not because of, of what we get from him, but because of who he is to us. Lord, because you are Father, you are set apart. As a matter of fact, what you're gonna find is that the other five statements in this prayer all build up from the holiness of his name. Lord, you are holy. There's none like you. You are set apart. Your character and what makes you Father, what makes you God, Lord, it is so different from everyone else. Lord, I wanna honor the holiness of your name. Father, I'm not forgetting who I'm talking to. I'm not forgetting that I'm able to have a conversation with the creator and sustainer of the universe because you love me. Lord, you are transcendent. The word transcendent means like high up. You are, notice in Matthew, he uses the word heavens twice. But you are, you are over the heavens and the earth. He says, the psalmist says, the earth is his footstool. Lord, you are huge. You're so big that the earth is like a footstool to you. Yet, as big as you are, you're also imminent. It means that you're present in my life. You let me know you. You revealed yourself to me through your son. Jesus said, now that you have seen me, you've seen the father. Now that you know me, you've known the father. So he's revealed himself to us through his son. The idea is that as we pray, we admire him, we esteem him, we honor him, we give him reverence. It's a, he's a treasure to us. We value God's name above everything else. So what I'm saying is, is that, that we honor him because of how valuable he is to us. God, you are father. You are not just a, a sidekick. You are not just a, uh, my homie who's riding in the passenger seat. Lord, you are my God. You are creator and sustainer of my life. You're a redeemer. You are holy. You are amazing. And there's nothing comparable to you. Lord, you are not my, my religion. Lord, you're not like this thing I kind of do on the side. You're not the person I fit into my schedule. Lord, you are greater than my schedule. You are greater than me and you are holy and there's nothing comparable to you. John Piper says that this is a, a sense in which the five petitions that follow the first serve the first. And I agree. Listen how he says it. Nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than the purpose of the universe is for hallowing of God's name. His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bread sustained life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation is escaped for that. 
Oh, we escape temptation. We have bread. We have all of that. Why? For the holiness of the name of God. That he is the name above every other name. He's not, every religion doesn't relate back to God. Every religion, it's not like, oh, the God of this area, this geographical location is the same God of this geographical location. He's saying, no, there's one God and there's no other God like him. And I pray to the Father, holy, set apart is your name. This goes back to the 10 commandments. There is no, there's no God but one. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. That loving him is predicated on the fact that there is no other but him. And so what we are saying is, God, I value above all else. You are my one and only. You are God in my life. You are the rock that I set my life on. You are the foundation of my life. There is none comparable to you. Holy is your name. God, I love you and everything that flows from this, it will all flow from the back that I value you more than everything else in my life. You are life to me. You are oxygen that I breathe. Father, hallowed be your name. Holy are you. Let's not forget who we talk to. Listen to me. Because of Jesus, I can approach God in my pajamas in my house. He's not a stranger to me. My ability to approach God is not like, and I get it, we have conversations like, look, if you were talking to the president, you would dress up. I get it, the president is a stranger to me. I do not know him, I do not call him. God is not a stranger to me. He is my father. I spend time with him, I know him, and I'm known by him. My ability to approach him is not based off my character. My ability to approach him is through the work of Jesus, and it's based off of his character. I approach him because of his, in his glory, in his shining light. Remember, Moses couldn't even look at him. He says, no, 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 you can't even see me because I'm so holy. And, and his prayer said, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. We, we want to be reminded that as we're praying, though we talk all day long, I never want to forget that I get to have this conversation with the God of all creation and the God of the universe. Oh, I, I enter into this prayer knowing who he is. I start with the Father. But I pray that his name would be honored and I honor him because of who he is to me. We, have, he, we value him. But secondly, it's because his character is high above us. His character is high above us, his person, who he is. What we are ultimately saying is, God, you are the supreme treasure of the universe. We're acknowledging that, that his value to us is infinitely unique. It's infinitely pure. It's undefiled. It's righteous. That he's a, a transcendent God above everything else. What we are saying is, God, your character is perfect. You are holy. You are unique. You are set apart. Let the name of God be honored as holy. I, I get it. We live in a culture in a day that wants to make God more accessible. Like, almost kind of like when Apple first came out, they got famous because of how user-friendly they were. And I get it, we wanna make God user-friendly in, in a way, but hear, hear what I'm saying, the only way that we can access the Father is by the Son. It's not by dumbing down who God is and like trying to make him something that he's not. He is God, he is holy, he is infinite, he is huge, he is amazing, and there's nothing comparable to him. There's a reason that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life because the narrow way is through the work of Jesus Christ. But our ability to access him through the work of Jesus, it is based on who God is. Either he is God who Jesus said he is or he's not God at all. It's somebody that we've made him to be. So as we're praying, 
We are saying, God, you are an amazing God and there's none like you. Holy, holy is your name. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Not because of how beautiful the court is, but because whose presence I'm able to come into because of the work of Jesus. We we say, God, we acknowledge your value and you are an amazing God. So let me conclude with this. This is why our prayer team is so important to our church. This is why we're walking through this sermon series right now. This is why we're taking these three to four weeks. Because we live in in a time where we value church success based off of how many people are coming in attendance, how much money is given to the church, and what buildings do we build? I go to preaching conferences with some of our pastors or we go to the Southern Baptist Convention and, and pastors, I mean, you can ask, this is how it goes. Let me introduce so-and-so pastor to you. Their church has this many people. They, their church gives this much to the Southern Baptist Convention and they have done this much. And I know some other pastors and their wives in the room going, yeah, that is exactly what it's like. But what if, what if Jesus is listening in on that and he's saying, And what if the value system of God is not how much money comes in this year, how many people sit in in the pews, or how ornate or nice or how many buildings we build? What if it's actually in how faithful we pray? What if the value in who we are as a people of God is shown in who we actually believe God is? And if we believe God is who he says he is, then we cannot help but to enter into his presence in prayer as a people. Oh, you, Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. I can tell you this, there's a lot of things that we can be known for as a church. And we, there's a lot of things we have been known for as a church. Can I tell you one thing I want us, and I, I'm asking God to help me to be known for? I want us to be known as a praying people. You know why? Because our Father, He is our father because of the work of Jesus. Let your name be regarded as holy, as a people. He is set apart, he is amazing, and it's not comparable to anyone else. We're not trying to dumb him down, we're not trying to water him down, we're trying to let him loose in our life. He is an amazing God, and there's none like him. Will you pray with me? Father, as a church family, Lord, as as a man, as a person for all of us, Jesus, we ask that you would teach us to pray. And Father, who art in heaven, Lord, we we can say that because we have been made sons and daughters through the work of Jesus Christ. Every time we pray, we're reminded of the gospel, reminded of the work of Jesus. So Father, thank you that we can know you and be known by you. But Lord, we also pray that you would help us with the second part of this. Lord, your name be honored as holy. Father, I confess to you this morning that there's times in my life that your name is not always regarded as holy in my life. That you're maybe a part of a list of many other things. And God, I pray you'd forgive me of that. Lord, I pray that your name would be honored as holy in my life. Who may enter into your courts? Lord, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted his soul to falsehood. And so God, the first part of this goes back to us 
worshiping you as God and God alone. So Father, we pray that you'd forgive us of idolatry. Times where we have worshiped other things more than we have worshiped you. You are holy and there's none like you. Would you help us? God, would you help us to honor you as holy? Help us, Jesus, teach us to pray. We ask this in your holy name, amen. We're about to sing together as a people. Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna sing together and we believe anytime the gospel is preached, it's a call to respond. I promise you after this sermon series, anytime we say pray, you're gonna think about it differently. And that's our hope. So as we're singing, our altar is gonna be open and you have an opportunity to come down and pray. You have an opportunity to call out to the Father, one who is holy. Intercede for other people. Ask for God's help in your life. Our altar is gonna be up. Our pastor is gonna be down front. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, he says, I want this to be a house of prayer. We want, it is an honor that we get to pray with you over stuff going on in your life. We'd love to pray with you. Hey, there's other people around you who'd love to pray with you. We wanna be a place of prayer. Our altar's open to pray. Maybe you're here and you wanna join our church. Our pastor is gonna be down front. We'd love to help you. We wanna be a church on mission for God. And if you feel like this is the place where you wanna do it, come on, let us help you in that. But you know what? I bet you in a room this size, some may be watching online, you're here today. And the truth is, the first start of this prayer is difficult for you because he's not your father. You have not placed your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary for you. And today, you want to begin to learn how to pray, but you wanna be able to pray to your father in heaven. You wanna make him your God. Today, you can do that. Place your faith in Jesus. Church, we are ready to celebrate, amen? The angels in heaven say they're ready to celebrate over one sinner that repents and turns to Christ. And some of you here, don't delay, don't wait. Our pastors are down front right now. Cry out to him. Make him the savior. Make him your God today and watch what Christ can do in your life. Our altar is gonna be open. We're gonna sing together. You guys come.